0: All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of Here for the Truth Podcast. Today we have Hinadi Nabutz with us. Hinadi is a mother, political science graduate, researcher, chef, entrepreneur, and cookbook author. She's American-Canadian with Palestinian and Spanish background. The most important role she plays is that of a mother to two young children. For the past year, Hinadi has been on a cross-country journey fighting for her two babies who are unjustly separated from her. And you can learn more about her story here, which we're going to highlight here today. This is a bit of a different episode to what you guys are probably used to. Um, we were deeply touched and moved by Hanadi's story. And it's felt like we felt like it's something that we truly wanted to highlight. So Hanadi, um, welcome to Hear for the Truth.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, it's your absolute pleasure. I mean, I guess just to start, can you provide, I guess, some kind of context as to what's taken place and... Why are we here having this conversation today?
1: Um, Well, in May of last year, I escaped a very abusive domestic uh, environment in the Middle East, and I traveled to the United States with my children, and I sought refuge here. Um, There's a lot of context um, for why I had to take that step. It was a very drastic step. And Ultimately, I didn't have any other choice. I, I settled here in the States. And before I was able to ha- uh, reach six months of jurisdiction, um, the father of my children was able to get an emergency order from the Middle East that granted him full custody of my children. And he was able to force um, forcibly take them and take them back to, to the Middle East. Um, he told the courts that he would be taking them to Jordan. However, he ended up taking them to Palestine, and I have been cut off from them completely for about six months now.
2: How does how, I'm just so curious, how does that even happen? How does, how does a court from another uh, country um, put forth an order that children are taking away from their mother? You know, yeah, just...
1: I was I was just as shocked when it happened. Um, I didn't think it would be an option. obviously, if I thought that something like that could happen, I would have maybe planned um, my steps a little bit differently. There were a lot of things that shouldn't have happened, and they did. Um, first of all, the order in the Middle East should have never been granted, but it was granted because the father of my children hired I don't know if they, he hired them or he had some kind of connection to them, but they were two 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 men that provided false testimonies saying that I was an unfit mother. Um, I don't know what else was said, but it convinced the judge that the children needed to be removed from my care in the United States immediately. And I was served via newspapers, Jordanian newspapers over there, which also didn't make any sense given the fact that I was in the United States. There was no way for me to know that there was any kind of order. So, um, yes, uh, another major problem that happened was um, that I wasn't served in the United States either when the order was enforced here it was argued that I would be a flight risk so I shouldn't be served and given due process to prepare and hire a lawyer and do everything necessary to fight the case in a fair manner um, However, um, I wasn't. I wasn't given any notice. I found out about the order when the police came to take my babies by force. They were just. They were aged only one and three years old, and I. I had little time to find a proper international custody lawyer. I actually had an immigration lawyer represent me because nobody would represent me at that time. It was just before Christmas, and everything was planned that way to catch me off guard. Um. So there's a lot of corruption in the Middle East, obviously, and for that reason, more attention needs to be given to cases like these. They can't just be, you know, they just can't be processed as quickly as they are given um, the laws there and, you know, the way that, you know, the high amounts of the high levels of corruption, um, given child abduction laws, Jordan, for example, isn't part of the Hague convention, which means that if the children were removed from there, there's no accountability and no way to get them back. So after, so in court, it was promised that the children would be taken to Jordan where I could easily access them and see them whenever I wanted. That's exactly what was said in court. However, the children weren't taken to Jordan. They went to Jordan and then crossed immediately into Palestine, where I can't enter, you know, given visa restrictions and whatnot. Um, So I made it very easy for my children to be totally cut off from me. Um, So to answer your question, um, there there were a lot of major mistakes that were made. I contacted or I've been in contact with some of the top international child custody lawyers in the United States. They assured me that my children should have never been removed from here. Um, and the main argument was just due process. I wasn't given any notice. I wasn't given any opportunity to argue why I had to leave. Um, what circumstances led me to, to make that, to make such drastic measures. Um, so yeah, the the children should have never been removed from here. So some people ask me, you know, they, they ask me, would you have made that decision if you knew that it would have resulted um, this way, if you knew that you would have lost your children and been cut off for them from them for six months? But at that time, I was in so much danger that I didn't feel like I had a choice. And from what I knew, from what I researched, after I got to the States, the story should have ended. That should have been it but it didn't. And it's, it's like, it's a never ending nightmare. It's, you know, a movie that's to be continued. And it's, um, it's just, it's, it's so shocking. I've just, I've, you know, we reviewed the lawyers that I've um, consulted. We reviewed the court transcripts and we've reviewed the cases and, we they con- they concluded that the children should have never been removed from the United States, it was a major flaw by the judge. They said 99% of the problem was the judge, um, that she just wasn't familiar with the laws that should have, or maybe she was familiar, but she, she chose to ignore the laws that should have prevented all of this from happening.
0: Wow. Well. Like, first and foremost, obviously, like, we're so sorry that this has taken place. I mean, you have a one and a three year old that haven't been with you for six months now that have only ever known you for their entire lives. And um, the impact of that is obviously unimaginable. Mm -hmm. My question is so, what were the drastic circumstances that led to you fleeing in the first place?
1: Um, So, I was in Canada. For about five months, uh, we were on a trip. I spent about five years in Palestine after I married. Prior to that, I lived in the US. I was born and raised in America, born in Canada, and raised in the US since the age of one. Um, But I got married in Palestine and I ended up spending five years there. My daughter was born there. And when I was pregnant with my son, I decided to take a trip to see my grandfather back in America. From there, I went to Canada and I spent about five months in Canada. The father of my children met us there and we were stuck in 2020 due to COVID. So we had to spend a couple of months um, longer than we expected. So I, after my baby boy was born, five months after he was born, um, he told me that we would go back home, back to our home in Palestine. And I was actually looking forward to go back home and settle down with my children. So um, in December of 2020, it was literally the day after Christmas, he flew us to Jordan. And in Jordan, um, I was just shocked with a series of events there that I wasn't expecting whatsoever. Um, I was drugged. I without my consent or my will um, with both street and medical drugs and it was a cocktail Um, and then you know besides it happening you know outside of a medical setting then I was placed in a medical settings where doctors would continue to drug me without my knowledge or consent Um, and all of this is in hospital reports and lab tests and um, unfortunately it has I had to even file a criminal report against this as well Um, in March. I I stayed quiet for a long time because I felt afraid. I was alone. Um, I didn't have anyone, any family in the Middle East. My family is in the States. So I never made complaints until after my children were taken away and I provided all the evidence that I had and recordings and whatnot. Um, But yeah, so at that time, aside from the drugging and the assault, there was, um, well, the kinds of drugs that were used were, aside from the street drugs, there were medical drugs such as Valium, Xanax, um, benzodiazepines, schizophrenia medication, um, painkillers altogether, and all without my knowledge or consent. And historically, medications like that and medications such as schizophrenia medication have been used to suppress a person's will and also to control and manipulate cognitive functions. So at that time, um, i was I was losing my ability to to make decisions, to stand up for what was happening, you know, to, to be able to stop it. Um, However, my children were there when all of this was happening. In fact, I was breastfeeding my five month old baby boy when, when all of this was happening. And as I became very, very weak, I, I had total insomnia for about nine days. Unfortunately, in that time there was, aside from the drugging, there was a lot of verbal psychological an emotional abuse to make me break. Um, and it was being recorded. So it was some sort of, um, cunning plan to, to take custody of the children. And it was done. So for reasons that I still do not understand, because I traveled on my own will to the middle East thinking I was just going to go back home and I was looking forward to it. And literally the day that we arrive, all of this starts happening. Um, and, you know, there are other details that perhaps I I was just um, maybe I opened my eyes in the wrong environment where women are not expected to see things and to notice things and whatnot. And, um, yes, uh, there was a lot more than that. Unfortunately, I can't disclose what ultimately led me to leave. It, it, it wasn't even that. Um, there were still things that were a lot more severe. And. There were so many lessons that I learned. Um, we have certain stereotypes and, and certain ideas of what certain parts of the world are like, and we can't expect uh, how how out of control things can get, and then the levels of corruption that exist in certain parts of the world, and what can be done with um, such such levels of corruption. So I felt powerless. I felt like my life was no longer in my hands. I provided the evidence that I had to my embassy and it wasn't easy, even though I'm just, I'm saying it now as if, you know, it was easy to escape. It was very, very difficult. I It took several weeks, several back and forth with my embassy um, and I was there completely, completely alone. So I was taking my children, um, you know, via Uber or, you know, with whoever would take me, you know, whether they're family family and whatnot and eventually I was granted uh, an emergency passport because our the children's passports were also confiscated and we were kept there against our will I tried civil means to leave via the families and whatnot and we were just abandoned there in Jordan against my will as much as I asked to leave and I had no other choice than to seek help from the embassy Um, and from there I traveled eventually arrived to the U S and settled down here. I supported myself and my children and we were doing really well. Um, I had some career career opportunities and I was settled. Um, I wasn't prepared for a major storm so quickly, literally before I could even acquire, acquire jurisdiction, the six month jurisdiction. Um, yeah, they, they came and, and they had everything very planned out. Um, they also filed a kidnapping charge against me. And that's something that I'm still, you know, I'm still dealing with. Um, actually, a Jordanian judge has even sentenced me, but we are appealing it, um, you know, on the basis that I literally ran for my safety and the safety of my children. Um, I-
2: yeah, well thank you for sharing all that. I'm I'm curious a little bit just like the timeline because you had mentioned you were in Canada um I think I don't know what you said 5 months and then you got back and then you went right into the story about being drugged. Like were there any like hints did you know something was off? Was this just like life is great. I just have you know I have two I have a newborn child with my husband and you know we have a great relationship and then I go back and everything like g- does a complete 180?
1: It was, it, it was a 180. It was completely shocking. I was, it was, if I expected anything, there is no way I would have gotten on a plane to go to the middle East if I expected anything like that to happen. And I wish that there was some kind of hint. Um, so that, so that that wouldn't happen, you know, there was some tension because of, of COVID and, you know, just from his part, but it was, for me, it was normal. I didn't think anything of it. Um, so I don't think it was something that came from him. I think it was something that came from, well, I know, because then I I interviewed the doctor that he hired. So it was something that came on behalf of his family. And it was just a very cunning plan to, to take custody of my children, to put me in a certain mental and emotional state um, to, you know, to be able to record, you know, reactions and things like that. It was just, it was, something i had never seen i was caught completely off guard in fact i think when he was he was doing it i i do think he was suffering but he went along with it because he was being asked to do these things um yeah it was it was as much as i talk about it i don't think anyone will ever be able to understand exactly what it was in that period of me being period where I was assaulted and and drugged I was kept in a hotel room for eight days I didn't leave that room and I and there was severe emotional and psychological abuse for the intent of breaking me and all while I was being recorded the entire time and I just tried to keep it together as much as I could and it was really hard um, given just how how far things had gone my my children were there. My children, my two babies were there. I was their their primary caretaker during that time. As I mentioned, I was still feeding my baby while these drugs were in my system. And I was, I was just really shocked that anyone would be able to do something like that to, to children. I mean.
2: Yeah. How were they administered? Because you said you weren't aware or you didn't consent to it. Was it through like drinks through food?
1: the first, the first, the first night that I arrived, um, there were there was a dinner that was given to me separately and I had it and there was a beverage, and it was after that where I started to feel really ill. My thoughts were racing, my heart was beating really quickly. Um, I felt I felt really emotional. It was just out of the ordinary, it wasn't anything that I had felt before. I had never, I was, I have a very natural holistic approach to medication. So I would never even take Advil. I had a very clean system. So I knew immediately that something was off. And from that day forward, I had zero sleep in a period of about eight days. I mean, maybe the most I would get is an hour of sleep each day or less. I just couldn't. It was insomnia. And I had also never experienced that before. My appetite was completely dead. Um, I was yeah, it was it was definitely an abnormal state. So after that, after that, I requested to go to a hospital. After that first night, I requested to go to a hospital the next day. And I was told that I shouldn't go to the hospital, and I was tried, you know they tried to convince me that I should just stay home. and i I um I insisted that I had to go to a hospital that I wasn't well. I could, you know, I was barely able to keep myself up. I felt very weak, and I just wanted to go for that reason. So they said that they would find out which hospital they would take me. So this is the Middle East. People know one another, you know, connection with connections and corruption, and you know, high amount of poverty. A lot of things are possible there. Um, he he eventually came back and they took me to a hospital that they chose and when i got there i was told by the doctors that i was just going to be given potassium and that's what i believed so i was given an iv i was given some pills i was i couldn't focus at that time i was just in a you know in a very delicate state so i then found out through lab tests and blood reports that I was being given all kinds of things, you know, that I mentioned from Valium to Xanax to antipsychotics, painkillers, you know, those are all very almost deadly combinations. Um, And schizophrenia medication, which I mentioned, what people tend to use it for uh, when you're using it on an ordinary person who has never suffered from conditions like that. So it continued with medical drugging um I when I went back to Jordan I ended up interviewing privately interviewing one of the doctors that was involved in this because I saw his name on the hospital reports and I asked him why I was given those drugs that I had the right to know and he told me that it was um my you know, my ex-husband and his family that were in charge of that, that they hired him, that he wouldn't come on his own. And they told him that I, I was having odd behavior and I wasn't normal and that I needed to be treated. Um, And these were his words. Obviously there was a lot of foul play involved. So I have all of this in recording. I have a criminal case now filed over there and Actually, after I left with my children, I didn't care to to ever talk about the story or even file any criminal charges. I just wanted to be left alone and in peace and even um, uh, even tried connecting the father to the children and just offering a civilized solution. However, they insisted that the children go back there. And given everything that I had experienced there, I didn't feel that. I was safe in any way, and I refused. So after the children were taken away and there were kidnapping charges filed against me, I went back to Jordan, and I had his emergency order totally abolished. So he no longer has custody of the children, and I also filed the criminal charges um, for everything that was done to me to defend myself for why I had to take those measures so um yes that's
0: what do you so what, what do you think is the motive of the family
1: um to this day there aren't I think there are different things from maybe different members of the family I think one thing was that I started opening my eyes in an environment where it is expected for a woman not to see anything, not to hear anything, not to ask any questions. And I did. Um, there, And I know that that caused a lot of tension when I, when I asked about some things. So that could have been one reason just to maybe intimidate me. Um, but the fact that things had gone so far just also showed me that It was just uh, there was a cunning plan to take custody of the children, to present me as uh, a mother that wasn't in a state to be able to look after her children. Um, Aside from that, I don't, I, I don't have an answer. How you know? How do you explain things like this? Just weaknesses in human behavior, and just cruelty, and you know, I don't know. It was also, it was also the time of COVID where you know you can you. Can imagine that a lot of people maybe had too much time on their hands and people that maybe are not generally mentally well um may resort to doing things that you know they m- may not have the opportunity to do under different circumstances. So I, I think that had something to play, you know, that had a role to play in it. But there's no explanation for something like this. There really is. As much as I, I look back and I try to try to figure it out. Some things you just, you don't understand why people do them. And, you know. To how, long were,
2: dis- how long were you married?
1: Um, five years at that time. Um, but then the year after that, I was in the States with my children. So it's six years now.
2: Okay. And would you say it was a, a generally like a good healthy relationship again I'm just curious like this just seems so out of left field that
1: yeah there's you're you're, you're, you're,
2: what you can share whatever you'd like to share or not share I'm just
1: yes mm. Um, I think when you look at kind of bits and pieces of the story it may sound confusing and um, when I first started my social media journey and I started to share just bits and pieces here and there because I was afraid of sharing more and I tried to respect the privacy of my children and their future and you know even their father despite the circumstances so i tried not to put too many details out there the marriage you can say i married quite young and quite naive i was on a research expedition to the middle east i don't think i thought about how things could backfire in the long run if i were to have children what i didn't think about the laws that would protect women the laws that would not protect women if things went wrong, and I think this is all very important when women make like major decisions, like marrying someone overseas, wherever it may be, you need to be familiar with what your rights are. And I wasn't familiar before I married. So um, after I got married, it definitely was not what I imagined it would be. It was life in life in Palestine is already difficult as it is um, under occupation and. You know, it it did feel like an open air prison in many ways. So, however, I, you know, I did enjoy many aspects about living there. I, you know, the people and the community there was was something that I am really, you know, happy to have been a part of. Um, And I, that's where a lot of my inspiration came from, my writing and and whatnot. So, the domestic environment was a little bit different. Uh, I think I was in an environment where. The person that was with me didn't have his own will and his own voice. He and it's, this is something that tends to be quite cultural, <laughs> where they tend to be um, kind of driven by the family's desires at every moment. So I never had any will. I never. I was never able to make my own decisions. If I tried to make my own decisions. Um, I was punished for it and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't from his part. It was, you know, also in part of the family and I didn't expect this, you know, before, before marriage. So, um, yep, there are, there are other things that I'm trying to avoid discussing. They have nothing to do with me actually. And they just have to do with the environment that I was, um, I was put in. I think that. The marriage should have never happened, um, and I don't think that the person that I married wanted that marriage to happen initially. He was also pushed and influenced by his family, so there, unfortunately, due to certain cultural stigmas, certain marriages are are forced. And you know, it, even though it was by my own will, and eventually he he agreed to it, there was a lot of pressure involved. So. Oh so, um, yeah. Well, it seems yeah.
0: obviously um, very collectivistic in nature. You know, there's not really individuals making sovereign decisions. It's more so the people within the most influence within that group, um, exactly, that are determining what takes place. Um, can you, if you don't mind, going there, describe for us, or um, let all let us know some of the details that occurred during the actual abduction? Like, how did how did that take place?
1: Um, so this is when my children were removed from Florida. Yes. So it was, um, about December, mid-December and, uh, I was out, my mom called me and she sent me some, some pictures of a document that the police handed her and she was just crying and I asked her what happened, and she told me that the police came and took the children by force. So I rushed home as soon as I could. Um, she showed me the, the order to it was um it was a court order to enforce foreign judgment. And it notified me that I had just a few days to appear at the hearing. So, yeah, the, he, he came with the police. Uh, actually, my address was confidential because I had a restraining order in place. So the court wouldn't release my address. So they had hired private investigators. His lawyers hired private investigators to track my address. And um, and they had the police come and take the children and serve the documents right on the spot without any notice. So I immediately shuffled calling Every lawyer that I could find being rejected by everyone because it was right before Christmas, and people wanted to be on vacations, and judges, you know, also don't want to hear long trials. So the timing was. Um, was so you, so you put
0: you weren't home, and American police came to your house and removed your children.
1: Yeah, and my mom told me she said that my daughter was crying like she was like. She was being dragged away by the American police and she was crying for her mama. She was yelling, Mama. And yes, it was. Um, I, I can't really get the vision out of my mind. I can't imagine. They were my children, were both really shocked. It was, it wasn't something that was done with the well being of the children in mind. It was revenge because. I was able to get away and...
0: So do you think the American police were influenced by the family as well?
1: Um, No, I wouldn't say so. They had a court order with them and they're just following their orders. They have to follow, you know, when there's a court order involved, the police can no longer take any action. Because when I came, the police was actually advising me to get restraining orders to protect myself and whatnot. And um, the police were already familiar with what was going on. So when they came, they said that their hands were tied because they had a court order with them.
0: This is so shocking.
1: Yeah, it is. It was it's very shocking. Um, it's. Uh, I've, I've learned so many lessons. I think sometimes one of those lessons is that you can never really let your guard down. Uh, it's very important to keep your eyes open and to be observant and to be prepared at all times. Always be prepared for the worst, uh, even though you want to expect the best. And I do think that I let my guard down a little bit. I thought that I was safe in the United States and I should have been safe. And every international custody lawyer that I've spoken to tells me that the journey should have ended here, and I should have been protected. Um, but you never know like there's that one percent that's always there that you can really get shocked and and sideballed and and really get caught off guard um, and and I, I go back and I consider how. Things could have happened differently. How I could have prevented this? Obviously, looking back, you know, it's it's easy to think of things, but whether or not they were realistic, I don't know. And I think eventually, it would have happened. It was it was inevit- inevitable, given kind of the perseverance um, by that family to to take the children.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's shocking. And then at the same time, you hear so many stories, even in the US where there's medical kidnapping, where, you know, children are taken away from parents because they want to choose the, uh, you know, what uh, medical treatment that their child gets or does not get. And um, uh, it's it's pretty wild when when the courts get involved. And like you said, you know, the authorities, I say authorities, and I put that in quotes, you know, they're they're going along to get along they're just following orders and they're doing their job
1: exactly yes um yeah it was it was all very shocking very unexpected however immediately after my children were taken I took a plane to the Middle East and I didn't know you know, what was, what were the deadlines? I didn't know what was the status of the orders. I just knew I had to go there to do something because I had no other option. And I happened to arrive two days before both the custody order and the kidnapping charges were finalized. Meaning if I didn't arrive before those two days, I would have already been a convict at that time for kidnapping my own children. And i and I would have lost my children entirely um, you know, to their father. so i I happened to arrive there. I had the custody case stayed um, and and the kidnapping case as well. And as of March, I had the custody case totally abolished. so they they no longer have custody of my children, and I'm now fighting for full custody. And um, since then, I've really, even tried mediation and I've through a third party, I have even requested, you know, other options, peaceful solutions, despite everything that has happened, because not everything can be resolved through peaceful mediation. Sometimes situations are so extreme that you have no other option than to, to take the, you know, the legal route. However, I, even as late as two weeks ago, I. I, you know, I propose that we do mediation and I even propose that I live in the Middle East, even where they are right now in Palestine, given the fact that I don't have any protection there, family, I don't know the system there, um, but I propose to live there as long as I could be, I could live alone with my children and just be left in peace. Um, And that was refused as well. So it is a hundred percent abduction, and I've been cut off from my children entirely, and they have no kind of documentation that is giving them the rights to do so. So, um, it's illegal. and and, you know, i I actually try contacting the father every single day asking him to let me see the children. and And I've just and my my messages are ignored and I'm just, I've been completely cut off. There's no way for me to know every anything. Um, So I have lawyers here. I have lawyers in the middle East and I'm just tackling this from every direction, trying to find a solution.
0: So where we are now, what, what options are available to you moving forward? If any.
1: It's hard to tell. Um, The main option right now is for me simply to wait out for the court cases to play, you know, to, you know, to play out in the Middle East. However, there's, um, there's a lot of corruption. It's a very long process, bureaucracy, and it's, it could take, it could take years. And I've been in denial I can't accept that it, it it would take so long and I've been trying to speed things up as much as I can and I've been traveling back and forth and I would travel another thousand times to deal with this because I'm not going to give up I'm just it's not it's not a sustainable situation you have a mother that's separated from her children and they're literally babies where they need to have their mother's presence around them and and they only know their mother um, so I you know as long as I'm I'm alive I'm going to keep fighting for them, and however I don't know if I can wait out wait so long so I'm looking for different approaches every day and I think I've become an expert almost in this area of international custody law I've you know been reading about different cases I have lawyers here looking into the situation I have um, different departments in the United States looking into this as well. I have um and I have you know my lawyers there handling the situation to you know to the best um to the best ability but honestly the only the only sure route is for me to wait out the cases and I'm I'm taking other measures along the way because I can't wait so long to be separated and you know to be reunited with my children.
2: Yeah, it's a pretty wild story. Does this does this do things like this happen? Is this like a regular thing that happens often?
1: Um, actually, I didn't know it was so common, but it turns out that it is quite common because after I told my story, I got so many messages from so many women that have similar stories and not everyone makes it public. Most people don't make it public. So this is why you don't hear about them, but it's happening all the time. And the state department in the United States actually has dealt with cases like this a lot. Um, and there are so many people that, you know, your case is just another case. So unfortunately it is, it is common. And in some parts of the world, it's, harder than others to recover children you know I think that this is why my children were taken to Palestine specifically one of the reasons is because um you know the father is quite well connected there and I am also unable to to access that part of the world very easily I'm not a Palestinian citizen he is and there are always you know restrictions for people that are not you know from there um, even though I have Palestinian background I don't have Palestinian citizenship so uh, yeah unfortunately yes these stories are common and um, there are so many invisible vo- voices and I think it's important to tell the story and um, to raise awareness so that you know perhaps the next generation can take part in legislature to to avoid situations like this from happening, or people share more of these stories so that women can have a safety net to fall back on when these things happen. You know, one of them being maybe a financial safety net. Um, when I had come to the United States, I was a single mother supporting my children on my own entirely. And I was doing quite well because I was driven by the desire to persevere, to succeed. Um, so I, I was able to take care of my children quite well and provide for them but I wasn't prepared to throw tens and tens of thousands of dollars into a massive international custody case so I started to fundraise and when I told my story I was um I was overwhelmed with a very very supportive community a very supportive people that contributed to the cause and are still contributing in one way or another, trying to help. So there are a lot of people that are empathetic and that has touched me in in so many ways. And it, it just made me realize that it's very important for, for there to be organizations that respond to these kinds of emergency situations and are able to help women because it's either you know if they don't have the finances to fall back on they were they will either lose their children entirely or they have to live with abuse for the rest of their lives it's one or the other um so for me i could have lived with like very severe levels of abuse and i could i based on what experts have told me now you know lawyers and doctors Had I not gotten out in time, I would have been disabled mentally and physically. And um, yeah, I'm trying not to get emotional, but I think that women really need to have options so that they don't have to live with situations like that. Because unfortunately, and this is the truth, there are many governments around the world that are not in favor of of women's rights and a woman being empowered. And it's, it's harder in some parts of the world than others for women to be able to, to raise their voice and, and to be treated equally. And I think this is something that a few, you know, a few of my supporters or followers were a little bit worried about was that I was kind of, I was talking about these issues and I, my intention wasn't to throw a community under the bus, my own, because I'm also of Middle Eastern background. It was to bring light to these issues to so that we can bring about change and we can talk about them and um and we can fix them. Because if we stay silent and we don't talk about what's going on, it's just going to be a perpetuating cycle.
0: Um definitely glad that you decided to speak up about it. For sure, and we really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with our audience too. Um, Do you have a final message for our audience and how do you think that if they wanted to, they could, I guess, support you going forward or is this just a matter of raising awareness to these issues?
1: Well, I wish that my case um, had ended and my, my journey has ended, but it's an ongoing journey and it's going to be a long journey. Um, so, if you'd like to contribute to the cause, or if you just want to follow the updates, you can see them on Instagram. Hanadi writes, um, and I guess one of the final messages that I I really want to put out there is: if you're a survivor of domestic abuse, um, it's never too late to to walk away. It's never too late to to seek change, and you're stronger than you think. And this is something that I've realized is that I have a lot more strength within me than I ever thought, especially when there are children involved because you want to be the best mother for them. You want to be your best self for them. And, and that has really pushed me forward. And that that's what has allowed me to keep getting up. But if you know, and you know, your instincts tell you something and, and you've unfortunately lived difficult or traumatic experiences, you have a choice and you just have to search for the right means to to get out of that situation. Obviously, um, my last resort was attempting to escape with help from my embassy because I had no other option at that time. But if there are other ways, if you can Talk to your local police, if women's organizations, domestic violence shelters, and get your and get re- proper resources to make a strategic decision, that would be the way to go about it. But you don't have to stay and you don't have to live with abuse. There's always an option.
2: Hanadi, thank you so much for for joining us, and thanks for sharing thank your you story. So thank um, you.
1: I appreciate yeah, it. Thank yeah, you, you for having support. me.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best. And yeah, you yeah, have our support.
0: Yeah, Thanks. we're gonna we're gonna link um Hinadi's Instagram in the brief here so you guys can follow along her journey if you feel inclined. Um, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you guys next time. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in the time they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms cause they be too busy snoozing, I'm in a DeLorean Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can shed our confusions. Yep, yeah. 450 BC. I'm sharing two-